Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Investing with IBD for August 21st, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Vernon Bice, Portfolio Manager for Lord Abbott, and he is also a Chartered Market Technician. Thanks for being here, Vern. Thanks for having me, Arusha. On today's podcast, for the first two segments, Vern and I are going to talk about how to adapt IBD's growth investing concepts to an institutional world. And then for the third segment, we're going to have Justin Nielsen come on. He's the Director of Market Research at IBD, and we're going to talk about current stocks. So let's just briefly get into the current market. Uh, the current market right now is under pressure. We have one distribution day on both the NASDAQ and S&P 500, but leading stocks continue to hang in there. Uh, now, let's bring Vern on. Vern, uh, I think the, the first thing to do is like we've done for a number of uh, guests in the past, your background. Uh, how did you get into investing and really what got you into the whole IBD world? Sure. Well, I wouldn't have a career in finance if it wasn't for Investor's Business Daily. I got interested in growth investing through my stepfather, John Coons, in high school who read IBD religiously. Um, he, uh, John owned a small produce business in Huntington, West Virginia, which was the area that I was born and raised. And he would often talk about what made a good company and whether or not that would make a good stock. Now, IBD at the time was the only newspaper that talked about growth investing and technical analysis, and I was hooked from the beginning on both. Uh, you know, so I, uh, I, but I didn't get started in investing until I was in college. Mm -hmm. So uh, what happened there was I tried out a few stocks. Um, I had some success, but I had a lot of failures. But I ended up learning a lot from my mistakes, and then I started to uh, evolve my process and adapt it, and finally I became more comfortable with the process. And then in 2011, I was lucky enough to meet Tom O'Halloran, uh, and I joined his team at Lord Abbott. And now I spend 100% of my time doing technical analysis. Yeah, and as we know, Tom, Tom also ha has been influenced heavily from IBD. Uh, and uh, so, so you guys over at Lord Abbott, with your team there, you're using those principles and adapting the, the, really the growth investing process uh, into the institutional world, which is pretty incredible in, in, in my view. Yeah, you know, I'm very fortunate uh, because when Tom and I first met, we spoke the same language. Uh, we had the same philosophy. We were both trained through Investors Business Daily. And I joined a group of uh, very seasoned fundamental analysts like Matt DeSico, who covers healthcare, and Steve Wortman, who covers consumer, and Ben Abel, who covers tech. These guys know a ton about the fundamentals. And, but the process there was already in place. Uh, that looked for three things, basically. Uh, su successful investments require three things. One, um, they have to be innovators. The companies have to be innovators in destroying old industries or creating new ones. Mm -hmm. Two, they have to have pro positive operating momentum. And then finally, they have to have positive price momentum. And when you combine those three elements, that's where you can get some really big winners in your portfolio. So that's what our team does. And yeah, and and one thing that's real interesting because with retail investors, you know, you, you can get more concentrated. You can leave the market, uh, go to cash completely. But you guys don't have that luxury as an institution. So you're forced to adjust. How, how do you guys adapt to that? Well, we kind of uh, have put 
stocks into one of four categories, secular, stable, defensive, cyclical. And like you said, we can't go to very high cash levels. In fact, I think the the max we usually go is 5 5%, usually 3%. But um, when we do see the market turning against our style, we do have places to hide in the form of more stable growers or GARPI names or defensive areas of the market. So that is a way for us to kind of take down some of the risk and manage some of the volatility of the high flyers and the high growth names. And, and one thing that, that you guys are very, very good at is, is following a trend. Right, you're letting some of these winners uh, ride for a while. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we use technical analysis because great growth companies aren't always great stocks, and so we've developed a system uh, where we use both absolute and relative price momentum. And re- the absolute momentum is kind of at the core of our process, and we've put every stock in the investable universe into one of four categories: either an uptrend, a pullback a downtrend or a snapback. And we've defined those categories according to their price data and the, the, the moving average. Mm-hmm. And so that allows us to quickly look through um, the, the investable universe and our holdings for potential sh- changes in trend. Because you know we, we embrace uptrends because we like stocks that are going up, right? Yep. And we avoid downtrends because we don't like those. And, but the tricky part is, how do you find when a trend is potentially changing? And that's where we have defined these two inflection categories, one called pullbacks and the other called snapbacks. And a pullback is a potential early warning sign that an uptrend is coming to an end, and a snapback is a, a, is a sign that maybe a downtrend is ending. So those two categories are very helpful for us to see when a trend is potentially transitioning. And, and so for a pullback where it, it starts to go into that category where mm-hmm. now you get, you're at that inflection point, now how long does it usually take or on average where it could go now into a downtrend? How long do you guys wait uh, for, for that? Well, it depends on uh, whether or not the pullback is severe enough to cause the 150-day moving average to start sloping down. Mm-hmm. So the only difference between a pullback and a downtrend is uh, the slope. So if uh, the 150-day the moving average is sloping up and the price is below that, we call that a pullback. And then when that moving average turns negative and slopes down um, after several months, few months, we uh, call that a downtrend. So it does build in some flexibility. And that's where it gets interesting with our team uh, because we, go, uh, we have the discussions around those inflection categories. So if there's um, a fundamental reason to hold on to the stock, we may even hold it through the pullback uh, and give it a little bit of more time and see if it can get back into the uptrend category. But we normally trim just for risk management purposes when a stock does go into a pullback. Okay, but uh, what, what about when it goes to that downtrend? Are you, are you guys generally out of it at that point or can the fundamentals overrule at that time to at least hold a, a reduced position? In general, we're usually out by the time it gets to a downtrend. Okay. Um, we love to cut our losers quickly and let our winners ride, like you mentioned. Uh, so we don't want to hold on for those pullbacks for very long uh, because they do turn into downtrends and they can be disastrous if they gap down on, on another quarter or news. So in general, we don't own them, but at some point we do have small 
per percentages in each name. And in aggregate, we try to keep it limited as to the percentage of our fund. Okay. Now, you know, one thing that, especially, and, and this is me included, you know, sometimes uh, for, for for listeners out there, we have, you know, it, it's very easy to take your profits quickly, right? But you guys are great at really allowing these stocks to follow their primary trend, to, to, to really just go up for a while and then wait until they truly break uh, before starting to scale out and, and get out. Any advice out there for, for those? Because you're from the institutional side, you're looking at it from a different viewpoint uh, as opposed to a retail. A any kind of words of advice on, on how, for those like me, uh, who sometimes sell a little too quickly? Sure, sure. I think that that's another benefit of having these categories, these four categories. Um, as long as the price is above an upward sloping 150-day moving average, it's you should you should hold it um, as long as it's doing relatively well. And uh, you, you know there's two components to momentum investing, absolute and relative. So you do have to check on the relative momentum just to make sure it's beating all the other stocks and in index. But in general, when you have an uptrend, you should just let that let that uptrend ride. And by having those categories, it'll quickly tell you when you do hit a pullback. Now, I think one piece of advice uh, may be when I first started, I was using the 50-day moving average a lot more. Um, and that was a little too short-term for me. And then I switched to the 200-day moving average, and that was a little bit too long-term for me. So the 150-day moving average came along through um, a person named Carter Worth, who is at Cornerstone now. And he, maybe 15 years ago, came into my office and taught me um, to use the 150. And I observed it for several years. and tried it out on my own trading and, um, and investments, and I just felt comfortable with it. So I think a lot of times when you're selling winners too soon, you just haven't, haven't uh, built a process that maybe fits your risk profile, and um, you, you, so you, you might not fully trust in it, if that makes sense. No. So I, I would just say play around with the, uh, the moving averages or try to come up with categories that, that, that define when to buy, when to hold, when to sell. Perfect. Well, sticking to the process is everything in the markets, and you got a good snapshot here with Vern. Let's take a quick break, uh, but when we return, Vern and I are going to talk more about the process. We'll dig a little bit deeper, and we'll also go over the two assassins of investing. Stay tuned. Hey, everyone. It's Arusha. On Tuesday, August 27th at 11.30 a.m. Pacific time, we are going to be having a free webinar called finding breakouts and avoiding fakeouts. Now, in this free webinar, you're going to learn the ins and outs of stock breakouts and how you can use them to consistently boost your returns. We'll show you how to identify high potential breakout candidates and when to buy them based on simple time-tested rules. You'll see IBD's three-step routine that makes it simple to identify stocks before they go on these big runs. Join Matt Galgani and Amy Smith next Tuesday and to register, go to investors.com slash webinar. Vernon Bice is our guest on investing with IBD. So Vern, let's talk about momentum and the two assassins of investing. So so the first question is, you know, why why does momentum exist in the market? Well, the academic research out there uh, that I 
I believe in says that momentum exists because of human behavior and the biases that we all possess. You know, the two assassins, as you mentioned, in my opinion, are ego and emotions. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to find a system or a way through your process to dampen those two uh, evils of of the investment world, the ego and the emotions. So greed and fear, you know, uh, along with ego, drive uh, investors to make irrational decisions. And this has been going on for decades. I don't think humans have changed much over the last few thousand years, and I don't see them changing in the future. So as long as um, those behaviors show up in stock prices, momentum should continue to exist and persist. Yeah. And and what's interesting is now, what, now obviously with technology, that's enabled us to, for for firms to come up with algos and a lot of program trading. Now, does that affect a- anything, or in the long run, it's still human nature? I think it's, it's still human nature. There's always been technological um, developments in, in the marketplace, you know. I mean, think about when we first started using computers and, and how that caused uh, some different changes. So there, you know, there may be um, enhanced volatility or more trading, but I still think even um, if you're doing an algo, the, some human is creating that algo, right? So right. the human can also override their algos or their processes. And there's plenty of other investors outside of the algo traders like us that are just you know, active managers. So there's still a big, big human um, element in, in markets, I believe. Yeah. And now what about volatility? As we've seen the last few weeks, the markets have been incredibly volatile. Uh, how do you balance that out? I think we just keep, we stick to the process. We, we, I keep going back to that, but you know, with this process that we have, I think we've really found a way to um, avoid some of those volatile stocks, those swings. Uh, you know, if it gets really volatile, maybe we give the pullbacks a little bit more time. Um, if it's, uh, we also may not get as aggressive when the markets turn really volatile. So yeah. I think those those are a few ways to to dampen volatility. What about time frames on charts? Do you, do you uh, do you favor particular time frames over others? I like the weekly um, a little bit more, and that's a good point. That the weekly will uh, you know stretch the time horizon out a little bit more, and, and maybe make the stock look less volatile on a longer term chart. But we still use the daily and the monthly as well. But yeah, I think when you look at the weekly, you don't get as spooked by some of the the, the market action. And types of stocks too. Do you, are, are you looking at that? Uh, maybe large cap stocks versus uh, small cap, maybe newer IPO type of stocks. That's true. The, the more you go down in cap, the more volatile the stock. And the IPOs can also be very volatile because they haven't had a lot of history of reporting, so you have a lot of players taking bets on both sides. And so for an IPO, for instance, there's kind of an IPO range that I've noticed over the years, and it can last from anywhere from three months to two years, and it goes up and down within this range. So you just have to maybe look at your position sizes on on uh, names like that or, or stocks that are a little bit more volatile. You can use your position sizing to maybe dampen some of the risk as well. And and sticking with that IPOs, so going from a range from the first couple of years, so it's too volatile at that point? It's not worth trying IPOs at that point? It's, uh, or, or is it better to wait after those uh, that first couple of years? 
I think it depends on the individual stock, of course, mm-hmm. but right. sometimes you get a nice consolidation pattern that's very tight. Uh, they're very clearly defined support and resistance levels. Mm-hmm. And then you get a breakout from those resistance levels, uh, usually on some piece of fundamental news. So you, you always have to be on the lookout for them, right, to break out of some yeah. defined range. Uh, and the tighter the, the consolidation range, the better. Uh, so, yeah, you, it could be two months, it could be two years, but usually when that occurs, we'll see it in our process showing up as a snapback uh, after it's gone sideways, and that'll give us first uh, mover advantage sometimes so we can get in on, on, the, on the name early because, you know, IPOs are uh, within their first two to ten years, a new company has the potential to have explosive exponential growth, right. and so we want to monitor that. And so let's get into really trying to figure out the, your risk profile and, and really trying to, trying to figure out what type of risk taker you are. Uh, how, how do you approach that uh, kind of uh, from an institutional perspective? Really, you, you have the benefit of both worlds. When you started out, you were an IBD customer. You're learning the, the system. You were learning it as a retail investor. And mm-hmm. so you got one perspective. And then moving into the institutional world, you took the same concepts and you got a completely different perspective. What did you notice? Yeah, that was quite interesting. Um, you know, luckily I came into a team with Tom who had already set up a, a process very similar to the one I had already as well. And um, so I've learned a lot from Tom. Um, and I've, we've also learned a lot from each other. All the team members, we've learned a lot from each other mm-hmm. about how to maybe look at that risk profile. So I think over the years, we've evolved. We've kept the same principles intact. Uh, but when I first started out as a retail investor, um, you know, I, I tried every indicator known to man. Yeah. And every and I thought there was, you know, everyone I think feels like there's some secret or there's some magic formula that only you can find, right? Yes, exactly. But uh, it, it, then what happened was I was just, I didn't, I didn't fully appreciate my risk tolerance. Um, I didn't have the risk tolerance for shorter term, and I was too impatient for longer term. So I needed this Goldilocks approach to investing, and I think that matches the 150 day again. Um, So I think just talking it out, um, getting in the game, you have to get in the game, right? There's no way that you're going to learn what your risk tolerance is until you put the money on the line. I mean, I remember reading, I was so scared to to invest the first time I bought a stock because I, I, I felt like I prepared, I read, and I thought, okay, I've got it, I've got it now, I can do this. And then I bought a stock, and it was $100, and then two days later, it's at 80 and those when the, that's when those two assassins come out to play, yeah. <laughs> you know, ego and emotion, yeah. and they wreak havoc on you. So I think just continuing to get gain that experience, get a process that dampens some of that volatility, um, and dampens those egos and emotions that we have. Just keep at it. Just don't give up on it. And and part of that is also figuring out what concentrations work for you, right? So some people are not cu- cut out to hold a fifty percent position in their portfolio. That's right. I mean, I I think when I first started, I had no money, right? I um, I didn't grow up uh, with much as a kid, so I had to scrounge to save you know, a thousand bucks doing jobs, odd jobs to start investing. I think the first thing I bought was 
the triple Qs, and I could only afford, I think, a, one share. So I probably had like $200. I don't even remember how much I, I started with. But, you know, uh, IBD, um, and when I was learning from IBD, they were saying to invest two to three stocks, right? And Yeah. And I, I just, and when you have little money, you have to do that, I think, until you get to some mass. But if you get up to $10,000 or and get lucky and get to $100,000, I found myself uh, thinking I need to increase the number a little bit. I was never really comfortable with the one stock because that brought out my emotions more. Yep. And it, I got scared with the short-term noise. Uh, and this was before I had developed a process that I have today. So and then I went to the re- the institutional side where we have to be diversified, and w- even though we you, we have to be diversified, we don't own too many stocks. We try to be as concentrated as possible, and I found like fifty stocks to seventy five stocks, um, even down to thirty or twenty five stocks. Twenty five to seventy five felt comfortable for me, um, because when the markets would go into a correction and then recover, sometimes you mistime it and you you. So, you, you know, I think 25 to 75 now has, uh, that's where I feel comfort with. But, that, you know, it's up to the individual. You have to, you have to experiment with that as well. And, and one, of the, the, one of the interesting things with this is anyone can invest immediately, right? There are low barriers to entry to get into this profession. Yeah, that's right. I think we joked once, uh, it's, not like, um, it's not like brain surgery when, where I can just say, Oh, you know, today I think I want to operate on a brain, uh, you know. Uh, so with investing, anyone can get in. Uh, and there's such a low barrier to to that profession, which is great. That's one of the, the beauties of America is having the stock market where a person can save a little bit of money and put it into the market and maybe change their entire life. You know, what better game? But what happens is I think some people get into the market and they lose and they give up or they're too hard on themselves and they end up blaming the market or saying that it's rigged and they run away. So that's the beauty of capitalism and you have to trust in the market. Um, the market has been consistently putting out these great growth companies year after year. And we believe right now is the best time to be a growth investor because the technology revolution is allowing these innovators to disrupt and drive performance like never seen before. No, uh, that, that's perfect, and and you know you you, you used the, the the brain surgery analogy earlier. You know, the reality is, with, even with the brain surgeon, they have to go to school for years and to get that experience. So same thing, and when you're investing in the stock market, which is going to be the hardest thing for most people uh, that they've ever that they'll ever do, you have to get that experience and and kind of work through it, learn from the mistakes, and really understand what type of investor uh, you are and what type of strategy works best for you. So thanks, Vern, for joining us today. Thank you, Arusha. It's been a pleasure. Coming up next, we will have Justin Nielsen on the podcast, and Justin and I will talk about current stocks. Stay tuned. Want to find stocks like the ones on this podcast? A lot of the best names we talk about come from IBD's exclusive stock lists, like the IBD 50 and the Big Cap 20. Whatever type of investor you are, we got a list for you. You can access every one of IBD's lists, plus stock ratings, exclusive analysis, and one-on-one coaching with a membership to IBD Digital. It costs less than a dollar a day, but for podcast listeners, we're offering an even better price. Go to Investors.com slash podcast offer right now and get your first two months for only $20. 
Welcome back to Investing with IBD, and we have a cameo appearance from Justin Nielsen, Director of Research at IBD. Thanks, Justin, for only joining us for one segment. Hey, no problem. Okay, let's go over some current stocks. Well, before the current stocks, mm -hmm. let's talk about the current market and what you're seeing. Well, the big thing is, uh, and you mentioned this in your earlier segment, that we are under pressure. And that really happened because we had the follow-through day. That put us to confirmed uptrend. Mm -hmm. And then we undercut that follow-through day immediately. And a lot of times when you undercut the low of the follow-through day, that usually leads to more weakness. And, and it looked like that's what was going to happen. Um, but now we've kind of steadied ourselves. Um, of course, you had... Now, let, let, let me hold you for one second. The, sure. That undercut of the fall today, that was also a distribution day, too. It was, Did that yes. play in account? I mean, that was even worse, right, when, when you, you saw the You know what? We do have undercut. we have done some studies on when you have distribution days immediately following a follow-through day, mm -hmm. how the likelihood uh, really increases of, of that follow-through day failing. Um, however, the, the very minority of cases where they still work they worked in a big way. So oh, okay. we, we, we want to make sure that, you know, and, and this is the problem sometimes when you have a low sample size, yeah. uh, you can have those kind of distortions. So the we're very careful to not say like, oh, don't play anymore, you know, because you don't want to miss one of those big moves right. because you're like, oh, I got out because there was a, dis you know, a single distribution day. But um, the, the, the main point here is that we are still holding above the lows, mm -hmm. you know, so that's the rally is still intact. That's why we haven't switched back to market and correction. We're keeping it at under pressure. And really, the 50-day moving average, you know, we, we keep on bumping our head up against there. Yeah. And I'd like to see it get back above there and, and, and stay there you know, yeah. because, um, you know, even that 8,000 level for the NASDAQ, it's done this over the past year now where it crosses 8,000. It can kind of hang out there for a little bit yeah. and then uh, not so much. So um, it's a matter of can we can we actually start putting some time above that 8,000 level and get back above the 50 day. So those are the things I think we need to look at. So it's also important that you don't get all in on a follow through day. You know, that's why you have to that's put true. in a little bit at a time. You don't want to go on margin that day and because then if, if there's any shakiness that happens, you can get shaken out of your stocks real quick because you don't have any any cushion on them. Right. And yeah, and really with a follow day, when you have that follow day, you look for stocks to buy that are breaking mm -hmm. out. There yeah. weren't too many stocks right. emerging mm -hmm. on the basis on that. So maybe if there's one, you try one and then see what happens. And exactly. then it's just kind of slowly moving. And and that way you're letting the market tell you. Okay. Exactly. If 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 you're making progress on your stocks, then you put more money in. If you make progress on those, then you put more money in. And so it's a feedback loop that, you know, really works to your favor for a, a, a trending market. Yeah. So now with current stocks, what what's interesting is with the markets underneath the 50-day, but there are quite a, a bit of <laughs> quite 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 a uh, a good amount of uh, current stocks that are they're acting like it's still a great market. Yeah, it's amazing when you look on a weekly chart. You, you wouldn't even know that we've had all this volatility. Right, exactly. And, you know, for as much as people have been talking about, like, the recession fears and the inverted yield curve and, you know, all of these things, um, you know, today you had a lot of retail names coming out. So they're like, what recession? Yeah. You know, and uh, Nordstrom uh, after the close and looked like it was up big in after hours with a beat. So there, there's, there's a lot of stocks out there that are still gapping up. I mean, we're on the tail end of earnings season now, yeah. but you still have – uh, a lot of big moves in stocks um, coming, and more importantly, those setups that once we do kind of right ourselves could be, you know, our 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 new catalyst for a big move. Okay, perfect. So, Justin, let's get into current stocks now. 
Uh, and the first stock that we're going to talk about is Twitter. And, and this is a stock that I own shares of. And uh, obviously, well, let, let's, let's hope that everyone knows what Twitter is these days. Right, exactly. I, 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 hopefully, we don't have to get into the fundamental story here. Right. Now, the, the one thing that people should be aware of, you know, what, what is it that's going to make Twitter go up? from here. You know, everyone knows a story. It's not like, you know, there's there's something uh, amazingly different, but it's it's about subscriber growth and yeah. engagement and what can they do to get more of that advertising revenue in. And, and also what's interesting, and this is something that they talked about in their most recent quarter, they have uh, really focused on reducing malicious behavior yeah. on Twitter mm -hmm. too. So to make it a more friendly site, mm -hmm. uh, which will actually help with the growth and, mm -hmm. and the retention right also right and that and the quality of the uh, everything would be better too yeah a lot a lot of the social media platforms what they're having to do is they're having to build a certain level of trust with that relationship um whether it's over privacy issues um you know what have you but the a, a big thing is that that bullying and what comes you know as a result of it and there's also the fraud you know the the you know, fake accounts and things like that that people get concerned with. Um, but on the new side, you know, there is a lot more that they're doing with video and some of these events that happen. Uh, that's something where they could have opportunities for for further growth as they get numbers for some of these events that they're you know that that, that, that they're covering and live tweeting about. Right, right, and also on the international aspect, uh, fifteen a fifteen percent increase on daily active users this mm -hmm. quarter. So it, it's starting to catch on more and more. Uh, internationally. Now, me personally, is that so that they can just keep track of Trump and you know what he's tweeting and stuff? No, it's not, it's not, it's, <laughs> yeah, and that's grow, that, it, that's definitely growing. Is 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 he trying to buy you know Greenland or you know what <laughs> something that's true, like that? Or, or all the memes that come yeah, out with the Greenland yeah, memes. Yeah. Uh, well, now for uh, Twitter, it broke out uh, recently, and now this is one of the stocks that has been hanging hanging in there. Mm -hmm. during this volatility, mm -hmm. right? So it, it broke out, came back in a little bit, didn't right. come anywhere near you know, being down 5% even yeah. uh, from its pivot. And now it's it's near uh, new highs or 52-week highs. Right, so this had a 4102 uh, entry, you know, that it, that it kind of broke out of that cup with handle. And even though it did dip down below that, now considering what the market was doing, you know, that's that's okay. It's it's you know stocks are gonna kind of pull back with the market, but it did hold very well and you know quickly got right back above that 4102 entry, and so that was one of the reasons why this actually attracted our attention on both Swing Trader and on on leaderboard. So we put it on Swing Trader on the 19th of, of August, okay. August, and um, you know we started it with a half position early when we saw it moving, yeah, and then we followed it up uh, after. You know, it started crossing into new high ground. You know, after the first hour, uh, we just want to make sure that this was something that you know could could gain some tr traction, and it did. And so we followed up there, and uh, leaderboard actually put it on. I think the next day, um, as as it was again holding there, and so now it's still in its buy zone. Yes, uh, that five percent buy range. Yeah, um, it's at five percent. Yeah, five percent from the pivot right now. Right, exactly. And and we try and keep it in that buy zone. You know, try and keep our buys in the buy zone like that because right. if you get too extended then you're more ripe for a pullback and getting shaken out. Exactly. And now their earnings on the quarterly earnings acceleration mm -hmm. yeah, from, went from 63% in the December quarter to 131%. 
in the March quarter and now the June quarter, 829% yeah. uh, year over year. So yeah. so things are going pretty Incredible well. Incredible growth. And, and and this is, you know, just these, these aren't small numbers. I mean, it's, you know, it's one thing when you see that triple digit growth and we've actually had five out of the last six quarters, triple digit growth here. And it's, you know, it it was starting at, you know, kind of smaller numbers with, uh, you know, like 10 cents and stuff like that. But, you know, we're starting to get into like, this last quarter was a buck fifty-eight uh, earnings per share. So yeah, that's that that's considerable. Yep. And so let's go into our next stock here. This is HubSpot, and uh, this is this is another uh, company that I own shares in. And I do as well. Okay. And so. Justin owns shares too. And, and now these guys, they've been around for 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 a little while now, and. Uh, they're they're helping small medium businesses with marketing engagement. So a mm-hmm. lot of the kind of the obviously a, lo- a lot of things transformed over the last fifteen years with search engine optimization. Right, right? Yeah. you have to have your presence on Google, uh, building more engaging content mm-hmm. where now you're going to attract people that, through just kind of articles yeah. and stuff like that. And so now they come to your and site. most importantly turning those into sales exactly. you know so that's yep. that's that's the big which thing. they help too, <laughs> right exactly. track sale leads and conversions right so um there's there's all sorts of you know when you start learning about some of these companies there's all sorts of acronyms you have to learn like you know crm customer relationship management seo yep. search engine optimization you know all these different things uh you know these it, it's it's really a lot about getting better and better data you yep. know so that you can figure out how to strategize and as you said it's the, you know a lot of that free stuff that kind of brings them in and then now how do we turn them into uh, into revenue exactly yeah I mean you build the trust with the customers you show that you have value mm-hmm. eventually they you know they, they get used to it and then now they're willing to take a trial right or, or something like that and on the fundamental side here's another one where the the triple digit earnings growth is is absolutely incredible so um, this this one has actually had six out of six you know for the last uh, six yeah. quarters of triple digit digit growth and I mean you know 37 cents uh, earnings per share you know it's 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 not like it's you know just a couple cents here yeah. and, and now this is a stock that has been running for a while though too mm-hmm. right uh, like a lot of these cloud stocks right, right but they while a number of them took off over the last few months and, and went on some really nice runs yeah, it, it was interesting to me that HubSpot wasn't doing anything, right. but now they're starting to come around. So maybe they're able to take the mantle. Mm-hmm. Uh, their their relative strength ratings in ninety four. So, you know, one kind of concern I have is is this a lagging stock, you know, versus yeah. some of the other stocks. Mm-hmm. So we'll have to wait and mm-hmm. see on that. But they are four percent from the pivot right now. Mm-hmm. They are giving you a shot, and they're one of the uh, they're one of the uh, stocks that have recently broken out right. just, uh, since that fall today. And, and the way I was viewing this is looking at a weekly chart. Um, I kind of look at the Q4 2018 as kind of resetting the base count there, so a, a, an initial base, a, a first stage base right there. Right. And then, you know, we've kind of had a base on base on base. And the thing I like about those is when, you know, the market is kind of doing its thing, it's it's still holding its ground. And, you know, sometimes the way Bill used to describe this to me is it's like a, a, a spring that's getting coiled. And so, yeah. you know, when you get the right catalyst that can really kind of start moving and, and bill o'neill of course our founder right. of, mm-hmm. of ibd mm-hmm. um and yeah so these are kind of those little subtle things that, that i like the coil the relative strength right. you know stocks mm-hmm. bu- that they refuse to start downtrends and mm-hmm. then when the market truly starts a, another uptrend now they have the power to to really really thrive mm-hmm. exactly okay let's go to our third stock here and this is a real interesting one yeah uh, carvana ticker symbol cvna and they're not only a used car retailer, 
Mm -hmm. uh, they're one of the first pure play online used car retailers. Exactly, exactly. And so that's that's their new, you know, because yeah. a lot of your, you know, I mean, CarMax and, you know, a lot of these have established an online presence, but they're like, we are only online. And, um, you know, they, they have some very interesting things that they do. Um, you know, of course, you can't test drive online, but, you know, you can go onto their website and take a look at a car, get a 360 degree view, and they will, you know, oh, right here, there's, there's a chip, you know, so you can really zoom in to see any flaws that the car might have. And they have a very uh, liberal uh, return policy, seven days, you know, if you don't like it, and, you know, then you can return it. So uh, they are trying to, again, build that relationship with the customer and, and you know, trust. And I think what's e even cooler than all of that mm -hmm. is that they have taken vending machines to the auto world. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and, and so it, all of you, you know, after you're done listening to this uh, podcast, go on the website, take take a look at it. They have, they call it auto vending machines where it's right. kind of like a tower of cars. Yeah. And you, you get a coin and you go to a little computer and you mm -hmm. select your car mm -hmm. and you put this coin in like a big coin. Well, I think usually you've actually like purchased it at that point. Okay. And so then it's they kind send of like you. A ceremony. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's almost like it's, it's like a commemorative coin. Type yeah. Thing. And I think you can keep the coin. Yeah. Okay. Um, but yeah, it basically. Uh, yeah. So you put this coin and it it comes down. <laughs> it was crazy. I was just watching a video yeah. on it, and it, it comes down this little tower, kind mm -hmm. of like a, a gumball, mm -hmm. and it, and it brings the car to you. Right. You yeah. Know, through this machine. Right. Right. So they're actually building one. Um. You know, I think it's Huntington Beach, so very close to where I live, and off the 405, and and. I, I can't wait for them to be done because I just want to see, like, you know, I just might hang out there to watch it live. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's that's another thing. I was, so they only have, like, I think 16 or, or so of these vending machines. And so what they'll actually do is they'll supplement your airfare, you know, to go, you know, if, if it's – if they don't have coverage in that market to deliver yeah. the car to you. They'll, like, supplement your airfare um, to – have you go out and then drive your car back, you know, so you can just go to one of these vending machines, get your car, and then drive back to wherever you are um, if it's outside of their market. But they are opening a lot of markets up, um, you know, to, you know, be able to expand uh, their their customer base, and they're expanding, of course, the, the, the cars that they have available as well. No, and, and it's working. Everyone's now, including us, we're talking about this auto vending machine. Mm -hmm. uh, now with the stock, uh, they re they broke out a few weeks ago. Um, after, well, they had an earnings gap. Mm -hmm. so they had a great, uh, they had a, a report that Wall Street loved, right. had an earnings gap. And eventually, the next day, they broke out of a consolidation, mm -hmm. pulled back as the market was getting a little more volatile, mm -hmm. and they, they into new highs uh, today. Yeah, and here again, they they never touched the seven to eight percent sell rule. Um, so it was it was one of those cases where it really held, and and th that was a tremendous gain off of that earnings gap. That I was mean, a big that, gain. That was yeah. you know. You might not like realize it when you see kind of on a weekly chart or whatever, but that was a 25% gain that day, you know. And yeah. now, as opposed to the other stocks we were talking about, this one does not have earnings growth at this point. But this is an IPO, it's in the expansion phase, and it does have triple digit sales growth going back for like 18 quarters. I mean, that's just absolutely incredible. So, and, and here again, it's not small numbers. This is, this did almost a billion dollars in revenue. Uh, last quarter. So this is, you know, this is growing in a big way and still able to do that triple digit, you know, growth is, is incredible. Yeah, perfect. So those are three stocks that have done well uh, so far since the fall through day. And they continue to hang there right during this choppy market. Thanks, mm -hmm. Justin, for joining us on this segment. And thanks once again to Vernon Bice uh, for starting the podcast off. So that's it for this week on investing with IBD.
On Sunday evening, Chris Gessel, Chief Content Officer of IBD, is going to be on the Disciplined Investor podcast with Andrew Horowitz. Next week on the Investing with IBD podcast, we are going to have Howard Lindzen on the show. He's a serial entrepreneur, and one of the companies that he founded was StockTwits. So we're definitely looking forward to having him stop by. So that's it for this week. I'm Arusha Pierce, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at Investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.